What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Michael Like Stuff podcast. Thank you for listening today. I, of course, am Michael, and I am glad that you're here. I had my friend Chase on tonight to talk about the last two episodes of the Michael Like Stuff podcast, and we had an awesome time, a great conversation. I think we talked for about an hour, over, well over an hour, actually, and uh, it was really fun. I think you're in for a treat. I just wanted to let you know about Michael Klinger Photography, pictures you can be proud of. If you need pictures for uh, your senior or your family, uh, we want to do that for you at a cost that makes sense for you. Um, I know that in this time especially, uh, money can be tight and you shouldn't have to pay a ton of money, more than you can afford for pictures that you enjoy uh, with your family. And so... Um, if you need that, feel free to slide in our DMs on Twitter, or you can slide into my Instagram, my personal Instagram's DMs, at the Michael Kling, and I would love to talk to you about that. And once again, we will get you uh, in at a price that makes sense for both you and for me, and uh, we, we, of course, want to do that. Um, so anyways, thank you so much for tuning in today. Our podcast is now on Spotify and apple so thank you so much uh to spotify for putting us up on there um just another great way that you can listen to this podcast so thank you so much and i hope that you enjoy the show welcome into the last sadly the last last dance episode of this podcast the michael like stuff podcast i am here joined once again by the sole survivor of my podcast guests on this topic chase whiting chase what's up man what's up it's an honor to be here i feel like i beat out all of the other competitors um are you my jury or do i have to now do, do they all become the jury who are going to vote on if i win this or not I think that uh, they're the jury, and they're also the Scott Burrells of this podcast. <laughs> hey, Olivia and I did watch or are watching season eighteen of Survivor, and I was inspired based off of your uh, tweets and podcasts. I have not listened to your podcast because I don't want it to spoil season forty for me. Uh, but it has been a wonderful thing to start watching Survivor again. So I very much enjoyed that. How far are you in Token Teens? They have six people left i think um so they're they're getting down to it i think they have three members of the jury um so we, we've been pumping through three or four a night you can you can fly through them when there's no commercials or anything like that oh yeah so are you talking like coach tyson jt tyson, so steven i watched this season when i was in middle school or high school whenever it came out originally and um had forgotten about it when we chose to watch it again until i saw coach on the the uh, intro sequence and I remembered right away that I had seen it I remembered Tyson going a lot further than he did but Tyson is the second member of the jury he got voted out oh. pretty quick Brendan was number one Tyson was number two um and then oh, I remember Brendan Brendan was, was great the, I love he was on Brendan. the black tribe the black tribe in that season yeah he was so coach is still in the game that. um JT's still in the game then there's a couple others but it feels like coach and JT are the the two big, not power players, but they're the most entertaining characters, I think. Is uh, Phil Jackson the coach of uh, the NBA? 
is Phil Jackson the coach of the NBA? Yeah, like the sur- the survivor coach of oh. the NBA. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah, why not? I, I think mean, he's in into Zen stuff, you know. Oh, 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 oh. I thought you meant you just like generic coach. Like, yes, he, my uh, no. Phil Jackson is a coach in the NBA. Uh, yes, but he seems to be much more successful. The episode that we watched last night, they um, they did the trivia um, for a rewards challenge. I, I think it was a, re- a reward challenge. And one of the questions was, who has underperformed the most during this season? And they all voted for coach. And coach voted for himself. And then he ended up winning the immunity challenge later that night in that episode. Uh, but I don't feel like anyone would have ever called Phil Jackson an underachiever anywhere that he went. Um, no. But with the Zen stuff and the stretching and things like that, it is a little weird. Do you know who Zlatan Ibrahimovic is? Of course. Coach looks identical to Ibrahimovic, <laughs> and I cannot get over it. It's hilarious. Ibrahimovic is a little pointier than Coach. Like, th- he's definitely bigger, but Coach is yeah. a big guy relative to the other guys in the in that season. Yeah, true, true. Sorry, um, I derailed us. No, it's cool. This is a Survivor podcast too, so it's on brand. Um, but I'm glad that you're enjoying Survivor again. Um, it's you just can't, you really just can't beat survivor the last dance just all the stuff we talk about on on my podcast so um anyways um so uh overall man i thought these were the best two episodes of the podcast so far i mean of the i mean we'll see about the podcast but i thought it was the best two episodes of the show so far um just the way that uh I didn't feel like they were going super back in time and it wasn't super dysfunctional. The timelines Um, converged, so it was a lot easier to follow. Right, right. We got a ton of like really neat footage. Um, We got like really cool Reggie Miller stuff. We got really cool Steve Kerr stuff. Um, And uh, Rodman and uh, Scottie Pippen, the whole deal, the whole gang was featured tonight. It was awesome. I think episode seven uh, might be my favorite, especially the way it ended with the two-minute clip of Jordan getting emotional and talking about if all of this was worth it or not. But tonight was really, really good. Um, and it, it, I've watched all of these with Olivia, my wife, and she she knows nothing about Michael Jordan other than she hears people at our church talk about him. She knows he's great. Um, but she didn't know anything about the flu game. She didn't know anything about um, the buzzer beater he hits versus Utah. Um, didn't know any of that. So it was fun to relive some of that with her. Relive. I, I've seen the highlights. I wasn't really there for it. But I knew what was coming, and she had no idea. Um, so it was fun to live through some of that stuff. Some of the really, really big moments of Jordan's career. I had forgotten that so many of them came in his last season and really in his last three or four games. Um, so, yeah, it, it was awesome. Yeah, um, on that, like, I think this has been really awesome for people that didn't know, like, um, Madeline texted me tonight during it, and she was like, guess what I'm watching right now? She was watching The Last Dance, because she's she's down at uh, the beach with her family, and her brother-in-law had turned it on, uh, which, of course, she's down there because her sister, Lily, just married uh, another Chase, Ah. so... um, congratulations to the newlyweds i hope i wish you a long and happy life together um but i just thought it was really cool because she was like oh like this is actually really awesome like yeah you know it's not just like a basketball nerds thing like 
I feel like true basketball nerds like me have been a little bit like, okay, let's get into like the salary cap yeah, yeah. and like, and like all of that instead of just like, oh yeah, Michael Jordan was super competitive. Like it's something that like everyone can understand and uh, the way that they're getting into like the personal nature of the, the different characters has been really awesome. And so I just thought that was super cool that just like anyone can really identify with it. Do you listen to the JJ Reddick podcast? I do. Yeah. So I just listened to the episode where he interviews the director of the last dance a couple of days ago. Um, and they, they talked a little bit about that, about how they had to work really, really hard to make this. They, they said they knew that they had to make an inten- intentional choice of if this was going to be a super nerdy basketball documentary that only a couple of us like. Um, with salary cap stuff and things like that, or were they going to try to do something that was uh, had a broader appeal to more people who aren't basketball nerds and who aren't people like uh, you and I, but might be more like uh, Olivia or Madeline or or uh, people who float in in American culture but don't know every little detail about how basketball works. Um, and I think they, I thought they struck the balance really well. Um, I, I did. There, there were a couple moments where I wanted to know more about, um, like at the very end, they were kind of scrolling the credits and the what happened after, and they said Steve Kerr got traded, uh, Scotty Pippen was traded, Jerry, um, the owner, I, f- I forget his last Reinsdorf. name. Reinsdorf. Reinsdorf uh, said that they couldn't keep him because they couldn't afford him. I would have liked to have known why, uh, but just getting getting to watch sports again and getting to live some moments that I didn't know how they happened or how they ended, I knew... Um, I knew the overall story. I knew Jordan wins his sixth championship, but, um, like watching some of the Jordan versus Reggie Miller stuff for the first time was awesome. And it, it hit the basketball itch for me, um, in a, in a neat way that I really, really appreciated and, um, have looked forward to Sunday nights, um, since this started and I'm going to miss it a lot. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, speaking to the Reggie Miller stuff, that's kind of where they started off tonight. And, the the see this the scene they showed where he um like made a basket and then just shoved MJ out of the yeah. way and then like a massive fight broke out and MJ landed a punch on his face in the middle of it. I mean, that was awesome, man. I love like I follow uh, an Instagram account called like it's like fighting athletes or something <laughs> or something like that. And it is it's literally just like old sports games where like athletes get into like real fights and like are punching each other. And I don't know, that's a guilty pleasure for sure. <laughs> you probably heard it on that, that JJ Reddick podcast and then I'll stop rehashing podcasts. We should, we should make a podcast segment where we just rehash our favorite ringer podcast from the week <laughs> and just talk about <laughs> what the other person thinks about it. But one of the things that the director of the last dance said was he, him and his brother had found like a seven minute clip of all of MJ's fights while he was in the league and he did the thing where he handed MJ the iPad and, and got him to watch it and got his live reaction. And he, he showed him the seven-minute fight sequence. And he said MJ just sat there and went, oh, yeah, I remember that. That guy swung at me and he missed. Or, yeah, that guy didn't want to fight me. He ran over to his teammates and they started holding him back right away. That was awesome. I wish that that kind of footage would come out, either in some kind of like deleted scenes or something like that. Or if they could have fit it in, that would have been cool. Uh, but, yeah, sports fights are awesome. Have you seen the the Shaq punch or the Shaq swing at, I believe it's Charles Barkley, where he misses by about two inches, but he has the full load up, steps into the punch, and I think Barkley just backs up by about two inches. Uh, but if he would have landed that punch, that would have been maybe the end of Charles Barkley as we know him. 
Um, so some of those moments are awesome. It, it's better than the hold me back, the hold me back league, hold me back, Michael. Yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, I've seen Charles and Shaq wrestle on uh, NBA yeah. on TNT every Thursday night. <laughs> but uh, no, I have not seen that. Um, so one of my favorite things is like the the quotes that we're getting from these guys, yeah. like that are just like one liners from MJ, like uh, what he said to Reggie: "Don't ever talk trash to Black Jesus." <laughs> <laughs> I loved the Larry Bird when he was saying bite him to uh, Jordan at the end of that series. <laughs> I won't repeat it here, but that was awesome. Yeah, it was uh, U-B-F-U. <laughs> this, is a, this is a clean podcast thus far, and I'm not going to ruin that, but you can figure out what that was. And it was He said it laughing while they were embracing, and I think that's that's about – that's the kind of friendship that I feel like only people like Michael Jordan and Larry Bird yeah. can have where they're hyper competitive, but they still have this respect for each other that they can talk insane amounts of crap like that. I wonder how weird that was for Jordan having someone like, like Larry Bird, who was still in the league, who he played against when, when Jordan came into the league, they're on the dream team together later in, in both of their careers, um, who then he goes up against as a coach. That would be weird. Um, I, I don't know exactly what a, a not sports comparison to that would be. I guess if you have a, a friend who is a couple years older than you in college, who's now your boss or something like that. Um, but that, that was weird to see. And it was kind of a weird clip to watch Larry bird coaching against Michael Jordan at the beginning of episode nine. Yeah. Um, I just love his relationship with like Larry bird and magic Johnson and yeah. the way that has shown up. Cause those guys were hit in the same era, but they were also kind of like, a half generation or a, f- yeah. a generation ahead of him at the same time. And so it's been really cool to see like how guys, how he viewed guys that were in front of him and then how guys behind him, like Kobe viewed him um, throughout the whole thing has been super neat. Um, so what did you think about all the uh, Pacers bulls series? I mean, you know, I, I didn't know until this week. I mean, it was covered on some podcasts how close that series actually was. Yeah. So I thought that was super interesting. Yeah, Reggie Reggie Miller's comments about um, about how they thought that they had the better team that year, and he still thinks they had the better team that year, but the Bulls just knew how to win and knew how to close it out. Um, that was really interesting. Um, and I've always heard about Reggie Miller. I've mainly seen – his stuff versus the Knicks and his highlights with Spike Lee and things like that um, of him going at Spike Lee, even though Spike Lee's not a real player. Um, He's a fan in the crowd watching him go against Michael Jordan was really cool. Um, And listening to some of the quotes, like you were saying about um, how uh, one of Reggie Miller's first quotes was like, I was not afraid of Michael Jordan. Everyone else in the league was afraid, but I was not afraid to be a skinny kid who was going at him. Um, he could play. That was th- th- those were some fun games, and that that was a series that I, I knew how it ended, but I don't think I've ever seen any footage other than maybe the occasional highlight from that series. Um, so that was cool to feel like I was kind of reliving that one in the moment. I had no idea how many games it went to. I didn't know anything, um, but that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, I before this week I couldn't have even told you who the Bulls played yeah. in the conference finals in '98. So I thought that was super cool, and like. You know, I, I don't know if you are on the same page, but, like, I remember seeing Reggie Miller play. Like, I think he retired in 05. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it was like it was like I knew he was a good player because they were making a huge deal about, like, this is going to be his last game at 
um, at the field house or whatever. Um, but like, I didn't, I didn't know like him as this like, uh, smack talking no. like killer that he was. I know him much so. more as the the basketball announcer and the guy that Steph Curry always gets compared to when they talk about greatest shooters of all time. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was just super neat to see. Like, I I really don't think that he and MJ, especially like I really think MJ had harsh feelings towards him, like with the push off and everything else. Like, I have I have push off thoughts. I have I okay. have thoughts about that segment, uh, but. It was interesting to hear at the very end, Michael Jordan said, yeah, they were easily the toughest team we went up against ever in this run other than the Pistons. Like he, he put them on that level. Um, so he, he at least respects them. And, and one of the really interesting clips that were in the two episodes tonight that had not been in some of the previous stuff was the press conference after the games and how uh, they they would have the curtain, the fake curtain to like create the press conference room, but then they would have the players sitting on like a, a bench uh, chair like that that they had on the the, uh, the side of the court, um, and they were just sitting there waiting for the other guy to finish his media session so he could go in there. Um, and one of those was Reggie Miller walking out and, and seeing Jordan sitting in the chair waiting to go in. Um, and it was interesting watching them interact. I think it was after game one and, and Jordan said, oh, I, I knew this was going to be a battle. Tell your family hi. See you soon. Um, and then went in and, and did his media stuff. That was kind of wild. I've never thought how they timed that out. I always assumed it would be better timing than, oh, yeah, Michael, you just go sit in that chair till Reggie's done talking. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was cool to see like that type of footage, which is something like you wouldn't have seen um, unless you had a documentary team following team. And this is what I was thinking during, I was like, man, this has been so awesome. So my idea is every year, like HBO or some, somebody should pick a team like at the beginning of the season, like a contender, not like hard knocks where it's like, if you suck hard knocks might have to be at your training camp next year. But like, just to see, like, if we could have gotten, like, some background into, like, LeBron's last year in Cleveland or... Katie's like, last year with the Warriors. Even, like, last year, like, the Rockets with Harden and Chris yeah. Paul. Like, I would have killed to see some of that footage. And so, like, I, I that's my idea. I'm just like, this is a great, a great thing. And I think after this, people will be way more open to it just because they're like, oh, my gosh, like, it's a cash cow. And they're gonna make us look really cool. I was wondering, do you do you think that players will be more likely to say yes to something like this, or and and also, do you think that teams will be more likely to say some to say yes to something like this after watching this documentary? I think so, especially if it's not like, hey, we're gonna air this after the season. If it's like, hey, we're gonna get all this footage, and if it's interesting enough, yeah. we we might do something with it at the end of the season or in five years or 10 years, like if you could go back and see like inside, like the Steve Nash sons or yeah. something like that. Now, like I sign me up for all these, like even if it was just like a three episode or five episode documentary where it was just that season, like I would be all in for that for so many teams. I wonder if this will turn into players and teams being more likely to do those extended E60 features that they do, or some of those like 30 minute ESPN segments. Um, I, I wonder if 
I think there's going to be a player who gets burned by this. I think there's going to be a player or a team who are like, yes, we want that. That has been awesome. Bring the documentary crew in, film everything, and then they're going to cut together something um, that isn't flattering or even that player or that team is going to have a bad year or it's not going to end with the sixth championship, so there's not a nice, neat bow to tie it up all with. Um, And it's going to blow up in their face, and then I think we might go back to people not being willing to do this. But I do think there will be someone who's the next guy um, who's going to want to try it, and and I'll be interested to see how that goes. But I do think we're going to get a lot more of like Carl Anthony Towns watching this and being like, I want a 30-minute E60 on me. Well, you haven't really done anything in your career. You don't really deserve that yet. You're not a six-time champion. Uh, But I think people will watch it because the access has been really, really awesome. My money is on Kyrie for being like, oh, yeah, like that would be awesome. And then him just looking like an absolute fool. (laughs) That would be awesome. Kyrie Irving is my my odds on favorite for that. I would love someone to sit him down and hand him an iPad with like all of the social media reaction to some of the stuff that he said. (laughs) Or like a Skip Bayless segment of him just yelling about flat earth stuff or whatever it is. Yeah, that has been my favorite thing. Well, I don't know. There's a lot of favorite things about this doc, but... The whole, hey, watch this video. It's amazing. <laughs> it's such a good idea. Yeah. Like, I just, I want to do that in my real life. Like, like someone is taught, like, brings you up in conversation and I record them. Yeah. And I go to you and I'm like, hey, Chase, this is, <laughs> this is what uh, David says about you, man. It's like, can you believe that? <laughs> Your reaction. I was I heard somewhere, I forget exactly where I listened to it, but the, the director was saying that he had a tough time breaking MJ down uh, with some of the interview questions, and he knew that um, MJ was opening up, but he wasn't giving him the intense in-the-moment MJ that he wanted and he knew was there. And the first time he showed him a highlight from something, he watched him light up or get really competitive or like lock into that moment and went, oh, that's, that's the MJ that I want to see in this documentary. And so he started doing it a lot more. But some of the best moments in the whole series came from, hey, here's an iPad, press play. True, true. Um, one of the things from, uh, before we move on from this Pacers series, um, was the security guard that became yes. MJ's father figure. Dude, that was, that was so heavy, man. Just like really beautiful. Just It was just re- a great reminder that I feel like, we all have this desire to have like a loving father figure in our lives. And just like the way that someone like we'll find someone to occupy that space for us. If like, we don't have access to that, like from our own fathers, like whether it be um, they're not around or they've passed on or, or whatever. Um, I just thought that was really neat. Like even Michael Jordan needs like a father figure in his life. The most famous, successful person in the world at their craft still needs like a loving older person to like care for them and, and, and give them advice and all that stuff. Yeah. I thought it was, it was pretty insightful. uh, Jordan's comments when he was saying why he had all those uh, security guards and he basically said, because I knew that when I was younger in my career, I needed wiser, older men who could talk me through some of this stuff and who could give me good advice. And um, that was really neat watching. Uh, was his name Gus? Gus Levitt, I think. It was cool to watch how Gus kind of became that. And I wish we had some more. I, I wish we got to see more of his personality um, or more of what made him that figure for Jordan or why Jordan was so drawn to him. Uh, but some of the 
some of the interview footage with his wife um, was really powerful. And, and I thought that that you hear so much about how MJ or I've heard so much about how MJ is um, not a great guy or MJ had all this controversy that followed him. But when you have um, his security guard's wife sitting there going, Jordan was at the hospital with us when he was getting tested or when Gus was getting tested. And then he called him every day after and he came and sat in my living room to make sure that everything was okay. Um, when you watch that stuff, just the humanity of it that comes through was was pretty touching and inspiring. Um, so I, I loved that segment. It was really, really awesome. Yeah, I mean, I just think like, even in my regular day-to-day life, I know people who are not famous, but they're like m- more popular than me. And I'm like, oh man, they don't, like they wouldn't, come around for like you know like they're they've got other stuff going on like they like i don't need to bother them with what's going on in my life you know and like if people think that about me i mean obviously i'm very popular but (laughs) but seriously like i think that we think that about each other and the fact that michael jordan is the most famous person in the world and he still has someone in his life he's like gonna take care of and look out for i thought that was just super neat and it was just a good reminder. It was like, stop assuming people are like too big to yeah. to be in a relationship with, you know, because he's he's a person that needs to be in relationship mm-hmm. with other people too. So it it felt like that that segment was building towards uh, Gus passing away like halfway through the finals. Like I, I was bracing for that clip of. Gus passed away in the in the middle of the playoffs, or or right after the season, or something like that. And I, I'm I'm glad that didn't happen for a number of reasons. I'm glad he got to live longer, spend more time with his family. Yes, all of that. Uh, but also, I'm I'm glad that he saw Michael win all six championships. Um, it, I think it said that he passed away in 2000. Um, so he got to see all of that and, and was healthy enough to at least come to some of the Pacers series, um, or at least that last game and get the game ball from Michael. Um, was. I was pleasantly surprised that that story ended that way instead of them telling the story and then him passing away right in the middle of, uh, of the finals or the Eastern conference finals or something like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so then at that point they like kind of flashed back to 97 and they talked about the, they talked about the 97 finals, but for, for sake of time, we can just talk about the flu game. They won the finals. Spoiler alert. Um, we have to talk about the Reggie Miller shot. Or the, the push-off shot. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Get into your push-off. Okay. This uh, is takes. my only thing. This was my only thought that I wrote down. Um, so, Reggie hits that shot with the clear shove-off on MJ. Um, and all that I could think during that was... So, so he pushes off MJ. MJ... Uh, and then Reggie Miller hits the shot. And I was watching how Michael Jordan reacted. Um, I was expecting the LeBron James put your hands up and pout the whole time. Uh, but but when he hit the shot and, and Jordan had just basically gotten thrown to half court, uh, Jordan looks over at the ref, sees that he's not calling anything, and then just looks up and walks to the bench. And I, for whatever reason, I loved that. And it, it might be because the superstar in my life, at least in, in my adult life, has been LeBron James, who whines about everything. It drives me insane. And he's on he's on my favorite team. He's one of my favorite players right now. I think he's the second best player of all time. Uh, but it drives me insane the way that him and so many other superstars just whine for calls. And then you have the foil of that. You have Michael Jordan who gets pushed off by Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller uh, rises up and hits a buzzer beater shots in the NBA Eastern Conference Finals. And I love that Jordan just took it. 
and, and he didn't look to get bailed out by a ref. He didn't look to, to whine until someone called a technical on him or something like that. Um, he just took it and, and, and went to the bench and knew that there would be a game five. And it was so refreshing to see. Did you, did you notice that at all? Or was I just reading way too much into it? I noticed it. And I had heard, uh, I had heard Rosillo talk about it because he was on Zach Lowe's podcast uh, this week and they did like a rewatch of Bulls mm-hmm. for that game. And he was talking about how like MJ, MJ complained as like as much or more than anybody else in that era, but it was just not the same type of yeah. levels. Like everyone complains, like rookies get in there and like talk to the refs now, like they own them. And um, like I was just thinking, like you know how LeBron, like he he'll do that thing where he'll like kind of crouch down, bend over, and then like speed walk over to the refs yeah. with both his arms <laughs> yep. out, and he just looks, he looks just like completely beside himself, just like begging for a call ten seconds after. He won't even get back on defense sometimes no. because he's complaining to the refs. He did that in high school. Have you seen? Uh, have you seen the Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan, the LeBron James high school documentary. I think it's called More Than a Game. I have, but it has been probably like five years. Oh, it, it, it's been a while for me too, but that is one of my predominant memories from that documentary was it was like his junior year state finals or something like that or national championship game. And LeBron goes up for a layup, gets hacked, doesn't call a foul, and he starts whining to the ref. And the other team goes down and scores. And the commentators even like, LeBron James can't do that. He has to get back into the play. And it did seem like Jordan complained a little bit, but it was always like in working the ref. It was never something that was going to take him out of a play. It was never something that was going to hurt his team, um, which I've watched LeBron do so many times. Um, and that was so refreshing. I, I hate when all the old guys in the NBA talk about how the league's not the same anymore. People are soft or something like that. Uh, but I do wish that the top superstar in the NBA right now would learn something from Michael Jordan. Get back on defense. Don't complain. Just put your head down and go to game five. You're going to be okay. Um, if you're a real winner, a real champion, you'll, you'll go win game five. You'll go win the series. Don't sit there and complain for five minutes. Yeah, it's just kind of like it was a, a consistent working of the referees based on like stare downs right. after every play that went mildly wrong for MJ, just like that glare that he did. And then like during timeouts, like on the way past them, be like, bro, what are you looking at? <laughs> you know? But then Probably. it was always a, okay, if you're not going to call that, I'll go hit this shot. Watch this. It wasn't, I'm going to keep complaining for five minutes. And even though we're six plays away and you can't, you literally can't go back and do anything about it. I'm going to keep complaining. It was always, oh yeah, well watch this. I'm going to go hit that shot then. Yeah. It was like, he took it personally of like, oh, like you're going to try to keep me from winning this game. Like, obviously they're trying to call it fair, but he's like, Oh, so now I'm going to win even harder just because you did that. To yeah. Me. You're my motivation now. Congratulations. It's, it's personal now. Um, any other takes on the push off? No, I, I did like hearing Reggie Miller talk about it right, right before that. In one of the interviews, he said that his thought process was force the ref to make a, to make a call. Um, and, and I love that mentality. I don't think it's always, I don't think it's always, smart to think that way because at that point you're you're putting the the game the fate of the game in the hands of a ref instead of putting it in your own hands like instead of trying to get your own shot but I do like the mentality that that created of I got to be aggressive I got to get a shot I got to go to the hole um so I I did like hearing him talk about that that was kind of cool from from one of the best shooters in NBA history one of the better scorers in NBA history um make the ref call a foul um make him make a choice 
and he chose not to call the push off uh, for whatever reason. I think we're, I at least am glad that he didn't uh, because we got that great moment. Um, but that, that was my only other thought was uh, I loved hearing Reggie Miller's behind the scenes thoughts of this is what I was thinking going into that shot. Yeah. When he said, I think we need to like force the refs to make the call or not. When I'm thinking in these, this generation, if someone says that I'm thinking they're going to drive to the hoop and then like throw up a missed layup right. and fall on the ground. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I thought it was really crafty the way that he, he used contact instead of saying, I'm going to try and draw contact. He said, I'm going to create contact off ball to get open. Like the odds of them calling that are so low in the final play. Like if Steph Curry pushes someone off like that on the final play of the possession, it's not getting called even in 2020. Not definitely not in the playoffs. And, and Reggie was smart to know that I have to get open no matter what. Um, and and I do like the mentality that that created in him of, I got to get a shot. I got to, I got to, I got to be the initiator here and go to the game instead of just sitting back and letting the game come to me. Cause yeah, I can think of eight bajillion times that Kyrie Irving has split three defenders with an amazing move, but then thrown up a kind of a reckless shot, hoping he'd get a foul and doesn't get it. And that's not what Reggie Miller did. Um, and that was, I, I had seen that play before, but I did not know the context that it happened in. I don't think I even could have told you that that was a playoff game that he hit that shot. Um, so those were the little moments that I've loved throughout all of this was learning. Not only did Reggie Miller hit that shot, which I'd probably seen the highlights of, but that was in game four of the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, in that situation, was awesome. Yeah, it was just really cool to see um, them have to go to a game seven because that rarely happened. Right. Like having to go to a game seven, um, especially like they never did in the finals, but it was like, oh, wow. Like this was hard. Like the 98 season was hard. Yeah. Like it was a relief for them to win it. Um, and so they flash back to 97 and they talk about the flu game. Dude, I did not know the food poisoning story. Had you heard that? I had heard it about two weeks ago on a podcast or an interview or something where they were they were foreshadowing that, that episode. Um, but up till that point, I had not heard it. I had always thought it was the flu game. Yeah, that was crazy. And I mean, I wouldn't put it past like fans that own a pizza place in Salt Lake City to intentionally give Michael Jordan food poisoning, you know? Yeah, and a- apparently there is a guy who has come out and claimed that he was the guy who spit in Jordan's pizza. But I don't. I, I don't know enough about food poisoning. Can you get food poisoning just from someone spitting in your food? I don't know. I mean, I would think it would have to be like undercooked or put there was like old food put in it or something. Yeah. Like, I don't know how a spit is going to do that. I feel like that's just like a clout, a clout take some random Salt Lake City resident coming out and be like, yeah, I spat on Jordan's yeah. pizza. <laughs> it probably is. But I, I th- that, that would make sense if it, he had the flu, you know? Yeah, right, right. The, the story about how they had five delivery guys who showed up, that was super suspicious. You don't just have five guys show up to some rando's place. But I, I, I want to know how they knew that that was Jordan that they were giving it to. Because his, his trainer or whoever it was said that when they opened the door, everyone was looking inside looking for Jordan because they knew he was there. But if did they just know or assume it was a Bulls player because they ordered it to like that specific marriott hotel or ritz carlton or whatever it is um or was there something that gave it away do you know 
how would see that's what I was assuming is they they said they were staying at like a Marriott in Salt Lake City. I assume it, they that if the Bulls are staying there, they probably shut the rest of the space down. Yeah, you know. So like, I guess that they if they had a friend in the hotel business or something, they could have figured out, or they just knew like this is where all the teams stay when they come. Like they might have been tipped off to that. I didn't know where the story was going when they said five dudes showed up. Yeah. I was like, are they are they about to like try to Tanya Harding, Michael Jordan? Or, it was a or bad what? intro to something. Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, like what's about to go down? So that was crazy. Yeah, I I did not know it was food poisoning. Um, I does knowing now that that was food poisoning. Does that make what he did more or less impressive, or is it a wash? I would say less impressive. I think I agree. I, I had the flu and food poisoning in like a two-month span last fall, and the flu was way worse. I'm sure. I was I was in bed for three days Ugh. and sore, body aching, shivers. I felt that bad with food poisoning, but I only felt that bad for like eight hours. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it is less impressive. His his final stat line was what? he In 44 minutes, he had 38 points or something like that. Yeah. That was – that's impressive no matter what, no matter if you're fully healthy or or, um, or have the flu or food poisoning or whatever. But I do think having the flu would be more impressive than just having food poisoning. I guess if he was up since 3 a.m. throwing up all night – that's one thing your body definitely isn't ready to go. But if you're out there with a fever and with, if you're out there um, like breaking, like sweating, not only because of the game, but because your fever is breaking or all of that kind of stuff. um, I think that would be more impressive. I do wonder, did it get the name, the flu game just because he was listed beforehand as flu like symptoms? Did the announcers just start talking about the flu so much that it's stuck? And when did the food poisoning thing come out? Do you know? I don't know when it came out. I hadn't heard it until tonight, the food poisoning thing. But I think, so my understanding is like the announcers kept going back to him having flu-like symptoms or the flu the whole game, mm-hmm. um, which would have caused that moniker to stick, uh, the flu game. But yeah, I, what did you think about uh, the press conference after Jerry Sloan's at the podium? And he's like, I didn't <laughs> know he was sick. And I thought he played a great game. He's like, did everybody else know? <laughs> I guess I was the last, I was the last one to find know. out. Yeah. And like, I just think that that in this day and age would never happen. No, absolutely not. Like stuff like that. Like, and even in the, in the last game against the jazz um, that they showed in 98 with Pippen's back, like it seemed like the jazz didn't know that either, which they would know now. Yeah. You know, I saw a tweet that said if if the Pizza Gate thing, which I saw people calling it Pizza Gate, which was funny, if the, <laughs> the food poisoning thing had happened um, now in 2020, if he got the pizza delivered at 11 o'clock or whatever it was, we would have known that he had food poisoning by 1 a.m. and by 3 a.m. people would have tracked down which pizza place it was, and by like. 10 a.m. the next morning would have a confession from the guy who was claiming he spat in the food. And then that night, all of the fans would have been chanting, we want pizza. And the arena would have a sponsorship deal from that pizza company where everyone in the stand got pizza. But that didn't happen. We They didn't live in that world. But in 2020, you're exactly right. Something like that does not just uh, fly under the radar until an hour before the game. Right, right. Um, 
Do so, you think? But also, do you think in 2020, like if if Michael Jordan actually had the flu, do you think he plays, or do you think they pull him and say, "Sorry, we live in we live in a coronavirus world, and even if you don't have coronavirus, you can't get out there and, and play because you're probably contagious." I don't know. Or do you think I he mean, just says, "I'm playing"? In a coronavirus world, no one plays. So, <laughs> I mean, wah, wah. yeah, it's just fun. It's just crazy to to watch this and think like. Okay, if Jordan has the flu, he probably doesn't play. Although it was the NBA Finals, so maybe. Yeah. You know, and then it's like Pippen like is barely able to move. No one plays with that now. Yeah. No one plays with that '98 Pippen back injury. I have a I have a Scotty Scotty Pippen thought. Are you ready for that? Mm-hmm. Um, is Scotty Pippen? a quitter. And the reason I ask is he missed some big moments in NBA playoffs games, playoff games. Um, he had the migraine, uh, up, he had the migraine early on. Was that the year that they lost that, that, or was that the first title that was in? Yeah, that was in 90. That was in 90, um, in game seven against the Pistons and they lost that. Got it. So that was the season before they broke through. Then right. the, in one of those two middle seasons, I guess the only middle season where they had the playoffs, where uh, Jordan was retired playing minor league baseball, Scotty completely quits on his team and, and refuses to come into the game um, when when Phil Jackson draws up the play for Tony Kukoc. And then in this, he has the back injury, and back injuries are brutal. Um, I'm not discounting that back injuries are the worst and that when you have a back injury, you really can't do much. But those are three big moments in big playoff games where where Scottie Pippen just disappears for right or wrong reasons, uh, for injury or otherwise. He's gone. And if someone does that today, I don't think they ever recover. And and I I wonder if Scottie Pippen has gotten more of a free pass for that kind of stuff than he should. Yeah, I would probably lean towards he had really bad luck with injuries and then him sitting himself out in the Ku coach game makes it look way more suspicious than it actually was. You know what I'm saying? So you think, you think that the injuries were just luck. Um, but we all like, but I'm sitting here questioning it because he did make an intentional choice to sit out of one of those big moments. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, like I would say if I'm like measuring, uh, I, I've never, have you ever had a migraine? I've never really had migraines, uh, but I did have a roommate in college. Shout out Connor Grimes, um, who I, I totally just I'm disclosing his medical history. Do you think HIPAA is going to come after me for this? No, because you're not, you're not a medical professional. So okay. you can do whatever you want. Sweet. Um, one of my roommates, uh, who I may or may not have just named, um, got really, really bad migraines. And when when he would get migraines, it was shut the lights off in the dorm um, if you if you're on a phone or a computer, go to the other room. Um, we lived in one of those double rooms in high rise. Um, go to the other side. No music, no TV, nothing. Like it needs to be pitch black, and you need to get him a Gatorade. Um, and those would happen once every once in a while. So I've only ever experienced them secondhand. I've never really had migraine migraines myself. I've had bad headaches, but that seemed to be different than what he was my, my roommate was experiencing. Have you had them before? Do they just completely shut you down? I've never had one, but yeah, the I, the stories I've heard of migraines are that bad. Like, you you can't like 
if if you don't want to be if you want to be in a completely dark and silent room, the absolute worst place to be is at an NBA Finals game on the court. It's probably true. Like like I don't know that like that is up there with like rock concert as far as like decibels, but then you're dealing with lights and you're dealing with people physically contacting you and like I mean in my opinion I I think like we I think our tendency is to look at Scottie Pippen and say he was like oh for 13 or whatever he was with a migraine Mm -hmm. Jordan dropped 38 points with food poisoning that's the difference between Michael Jordan and everyone else right but I would say it seems like it'd be much harder to play with a migraine than with food poisoning, food poisoning. especially food poisoning that you've already been with for 19, 20 right. hours. Yeah. I just, I, I wonder the, there's the, the saying that all high school coaches love of uh, the best ability is, is availability. Um, and, and if you're available to play or not, or if you're injury prone or if you're always hurt or whatever. And I wonder if at some point Jerry Krause or Michael Jordan or Phil Jackson or one of those guys looks at Scottie Pippen and just goes, you're not reliable. Like, sorry, like we love you. All of your teammates think you're great. Um, you've hit some big shots for us and you're a good player, but you're just not reliable in the biggest moments. We need you there. Um, and, and I don't have a great real world comparison to, to me and to what I do for a living. But if it's the last night of camp and you're scheduled to speak and then all of a sudden you're out for whatever reason, I'm probably not asking you back next year. Like even if it's a legitimate reason um, for you not being there, like your availability and, and um, ability to follow through on your commitments really, really matters when, when it's big moments, whatever that is. And, and last night of church camp is probably not a great example. Um, but availability matters. And, and I'm surprised that no one turned on Scotty Pippen because he missed three big moments. Um, one by choice and, and two that, that probably weren't by choice, but like you said, we compare him to people like Michael Jordan, um, with the the flu game, or you compare him to I'm comparing him to Kobe Bryant, who tears his Achilles and steps up and hit two, hits two free throws. Um, I think that's got to matter at some point, and I don't know what the number of of missed moments is, but three's pushing it for me. Yeah, um, it's kind of like finding guests for your podcast. You know, <laughs> like people people have expressed interest in in being on your podcast, but but don't come on it, and it's like. I love you as a friend, like, and that is not changing. But, but I'm, I'm not asking you, right? I'm not going to beg you to be on my podcast. Yeah, you know, this is this is a privilege, and so, um, uh, you know, it's stuff like that. Like, and I I know that, um, like, I so in the Jordan Rules book that they talked about, probably in like episode four, yeah, that that they were kind of like, uh, it, it goes through the '91 season all the way through, um, and it talks about, um just Michael Jordan and the type of teammate he was. Uh, so that was the year after the migrant game for Scotty. So it's the year they won their first title mm-hmm. and they were playing a regular season game um, somewhere. I think it was like in Indiana or something like that. And Scotty had a bad game. And uh, in the book it, it talks, it says um, in the locker room after MJ on his way out, looked at Scotty and said, do you have another headache today, Scotty? <laughs> so like, so like, yikes. I, what we do, what we do now, and that's exactly the type of thing they're not going to put in this documentary because <laughs> it is like trying to paint. 
it's trying to take Michael Jordan was a bad teammate, fact, and they are trying to change it into Michael Jordan actually the best teammate ever because right. he was a bad teammate. Really and great it's like, leader. It's like, actually, if he wasn't playing with the exact guys he was, they would have pulled a gun on him in the locker room, like <laughs> Washington Wizards style. And so, like, I just can't really get there with the whole Michael Jordan, a great teammate thing. Like, it's constant digs. And, like, you and I, like, I, I would say with our friends, we, like, we're probably people that do digs a lot, but uh-huh. it's gentle. And then even gentle digs still really, like, after a while, people have had it and they oh, snap. Oh, yeah, 100%. And it takes like a week before it's like, okay, no, we're good now, you know? 100%. Um, and that's why I thought in episode six, I think it was, um, when they start talking to some of Jordan's teammates and they are reflecting on him as a leader, they all basically go, he sucked in the moment. In the moment, we we, we hated him. Like he crossed the line so many times. But then they're all sitting there as 40-something-year-olds or 50-something-year-olds and going, but actually, he was the reason that we got to where we were. And and it goes back to the idea of he's someone that I don't think I would ever want to play with. I don't think he's ever someone that I would want to have uh, as a teammate. But I think I want him, like if I'm, if I'm a coach or a GM, I think I want him on my team. I think he's probably worth the headache of he's going to he's going to really make some of my other players angry, but he's going to push them and he's going to be the, the coach on the floor or whatever all the corny analogies are. Um, but I, yeah, I'm conflicted on what to do with Michael Jordan, the leader and the teammate. And I probably won't know how I feel about it until six months from now because that's how I work. Um, but it, it's it's an interesting idea uh, because I could never get away with something like that at my workplace, uh, but I also work at a church. But I also don't think like if you're the manager of Blaze Pizza, I don't think you can get away with that. It's in it's in these hyper specific contexts that you could be that type of leader and people call you a good leader. Otherwise, you're fired anywhere else. Yeah, I'm just imagining like John coming into your office and like being like, hey, Chase, don't don't F up graduation Sunday this week. (laughs) All right, bro. It's like you're looking pretty you're looking like you failed at stuff in the past. So don't mess this up for me, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like, oh, thanks. I'm going to go put on a great performance now that you said that to me. If you mess this up, I'm stepping in and doing your job for you. And I'm going to run my job as well. <laughs> right. So we're just like the thing about him being a great teammate. I just can't. I can't get there. And that goes back to Michael Jordan and his people are like executive producers yeah. of this documentary. So everything that that is said, it's like. It's been okay. run through a filter a couple times. Right. This isn't actual journalism. This is a. Uh, this is a commercial, a, a documercial, as Bill Simmons yeah. would say. Do you think that, okay, if they had, if they were doing a 10 episode documentary series on LeBron and they, they cut the first cut of it and handed it to LeBron and his people to, to run through, who do you think ran, would run it through more PR teams and more branding gurus to see how they were coming off? Do you think it was MJ with what he actually did with this? Or do you think it would be LeBron running it through however many people? I would say it would be LeBron because he is so concerned with his PR stuff. Like, I'm sure he's got teams of teams of teams of guys. Like, I think MJ's circle is so much smaller. Like, there's, like, the Jordan brand guys and the Nike guys and then, like, his close friends and family – where like LeBron's gonna run it through like his Chris Paul, Melody Wade, yeah, like his PR he's gonna, teams. 
He's going to run it through the I Believe School right. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, what's it called? <laughs> the I Believe. Yeah, the I Believe School. He's going to run it by the fifth grade math teacher at the I Believe School. Yeah, it's like, or I guess it's uh, the I Promise School. Oh, yeah, yeah, I Promise. Not the We Believe Warrior School that LeBron had to go to in 2015. <laughs> he went there a couple times. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just, I think LeBron is so concerned. And that's why, like, I don't, I will never buy anything as legit that we see from LeBron. Yeah, I mean, but unless it's in 20 years. I, I get that. Um, but I also wonder if, I, I agree, I think LeBron would run it by more PR people and branding people and things like that. But I don't think he has as much to hide as, as Jordan does. Oh, definitely not. I mean, you put any of the stuff that he's done with his family or with any of the charity work he's done or even as a teammate. And there's definitely been some moments where he's been a terrible teammate. He quit on the Lakers last year. He was, he was a jerk to Kevin Love for so many years. He's gotten so many of his teammates traded. Um, I don't think he's always been the greatest teammate. But I also don't think he's berating guys in practice sessions. Like, it feels like Michael Jordan would have so much more to to hide. But I still thought he came off really well in this whole series. Um, like, if we were doing winners and losers, the biggest winner is Michael Jordan. Easily. 100% for me. Um, I, I may... I, I started this not knowing a ton about Michael Jordan other than uh, what I had heard people talk about, but he was awesome. Um, and I loved, I, I, I'm with you that it's always in the back of my head. Like he's an executive producer of this. He had final say over what gets the green light and what doesn't, but he came off so well. I thought, and even the moments he didn't, I, I, I still understood it and I got it. Like I got why he was a jerk to his teammates um, I got why he thought the gambling story was was blown out out of proportion, um, but that that sits there in the back of my head as well. Of, uh, he had final say on this, right? And I think that this is one of the unique times where we're we're we're, we're able to get like a half glimpse, and to us, it's so much that it feels like this unfiltered yeah. like f words thing. And I'm like, this is not the whole story, right? You know, it's just not. Um, and you know, it's. And if, if anything, if any like Kobe stuff ever comes out, it is going to like, because of the situation, it is going to be even more probably oh, rosy. Yeah. Than 100%. This. Um, but I am a little bit sad that we're never going to get like that full look yeah. with Kobe that we could have got in five years from now, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and Kobe being in episode three or six or whatever it was, was a, was like the most cruel taste of that uh, because if that was the Kobe that we would have gotten of him talking about, no, without Michael, there's no Kobe. Um, or whenever someone says, says, Hey, nice move. They're really telling Michael Jordan that they like his move. If we were going to get that Kobe um, for a documentary series, it would have been awesome. Uh, but I, like I was saying, I'm interested to see who the next player to try this is. Cause I know they're producing a magic Johnson one right now and his will be fun. Uh, but M Magic Johnson is maybe even more so than Michael Jordan. He is such a personality um, and such a um, on-camera brand to an extent that Michael Jordan isn't. That it'll be interesting to see how deep they go into some of the um, some of the checkered stuff in his past um, and, and how open he gets with it. Because I, I did really respect Michael Jordan for um, answering some of the tough questions and not shying away from him. Um, it felt like one or two things might have been off limits, like his family. Um, in family situations. But other than that, it seemed like everything was on the table. Yeah. And th they, they did a smart thing. They, they did like what a politician would do where they take this thing that is bad, objectively bad. 
and they're like spin it for something like that's great. Like Michael Jordan is involved with these gambling people who are like involved in super sketchy stuff yeah. and drugs and all that. And they're like spin it for like Michael's just the most competitive guy ever, man. Yeah, that's I, all like I don't have a just so competitive. I have a competition problem. Right. And it's like that's what set him apart. That's what made him the best. He's yeah. the most competitive. I'm like, just think how, like, what a better situation he would be in if he didn't have a gambling problem. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. Um, uh, speaking of human interest stuff and, and personal lives, uh, what did you think about the Steve Kerr stuff? Oh, it was, I, I didn't know any of that. Um, I, I know Steve Kerr is the coach of the Warriors and on this podcast last week, I was slandering Steve Kerr and talking about how I thought that he had been overrated through all of this as a player. Um, getting his backstory was amazing. Um, amazing might even be the wrong word. It was incredibly moving and incredibly touching. Um, I didn't know anything about his parents. I didn't know anything about his dad. Um, I didn't know when they first asked him the question, they said something like, did, did you and Michael ever talk about your dads? I thought, I've, I've no idea what you're about to talk about. I have no idea where this is going. Did you know any of that story beforehand? No, I didn't. I was the same as you. And I was, when they asked me about the dads thing, I was like, Oh, this is going to get really interesting. I was on the edge of my seat once they asked that. Yeah. We're going somewhere with this and you're about to take us on a journey. Um, it was, it was super emotional. Um, and, I, I was, I I am not a show outward sadness emotion person. That's not who I am. I was getting choked up watching it. Um, in a, and and I don't know it it almost felt in a different way than Michael Jordan. Um, than his story with his dad, not to compare it because losing your father, no matter what is terrible. Um, but the, the way it happened, the suddenness of it, um, his parents being over in, in, in the Middle East while he's in Arizona as a college basketball player um, was heartbreaking. Um, and, and the way that they, the way that the director and producers cut that segment up to put it right as Steve Kerr then goes and hits a buzzer beater essentially to win the NBA championship was awesome. It, it was the, the perfect break your heart, but here's the good ending that goes with it. Um, but then it, it was powerful to also watch Steve Kerr now, however old he is, however successful he is, um, get choked up while talking about it and get choked up um, while talking about, yeah, when I listen to the national anthem, I still think of my dad. All right. All right. I did for so long. Um, it, it was almost difficult to watch, but it was it was beautiful. Um, it, w- it was a very human moment um, that was was, again, very, very touching. What did you think about it? I mean, I. I have so much, I I had respect for Steve Kerr yeah, and I have so I think I have a lot more now. I just, I really identified with his story as a person just, you know, like he wasn't, he didn't come off as some bratty prep school kid who like was like super cocky and shot threes and all that stuff. Like, you know, I identify with him like both of our dads are college professors and you know, just like him being from this academic family, but having this love for sports and that type of thing. Like I just super identified with that and the way that 
like the way he talked about, like I literally had to scrape and claw for everything that I got out of basketball. Yeah. Um, I thought that was just really, really awesome because you do, like when I watch the NBA, I, I really don't think most like when I watch it, I'm sure they did have to work really hard to get where they are. Probably most of them or all of them, but it's, it's not, that's not what I think of. Mm-hmm. I think of man, like if I had this type of natural ability, right? Like what, <laughs> what could I have accomplished? And so just to see him like completely maximize um, himself and um, just to see, like see his mom on the, on it and just the way that she spoke about their family. Um, I just thought it was really beautiful. And uh, yeah, man, like I, I texted you, like I'm so yeah. happy for Steve Kerr. Like I, I, and like, I wonder like how many people in the moment um, in 97, when he hit that shot, like how many people knew yeah, his backstory the then? Yeah. Um, because that was just, a really beautiful moment. They're this globally minded family right. and they're, they're educated and they're academic. And I know you probably relate to that on some level as well. Yeah. I, I, yes, I thought of it a couple ways. Um, for, for whoever doesn't know my, my dad's in the military, he's in the air force. And, um, so I, I related to the, uh, my, my dad has never been deployed or anything like that. Um, I don't, I don't know how many dangerous situations he's ever been in, uh, but the idea of getting a call of like, Oh yeah, someone walked in his office. Um, that, that, that didn't hit too close to home. Cause again, that, that did, that has never happened, but that is a scenario that I've thought of. Um, and, and is a possibility. It's a possible phone call that you could get someday. Um, but I, I did relate to that part of it. Um, and, but the, the other piece that I have a lot of respect for Steve Kerr going through now um, is in, in 2020, Steve Kerr has kind of become one of the moral voices of the NBA um, and one of the figures who, when something happens in our world, people want him to weigh in on it. Um, and I, I've seen backlash from from um, from different people, people in, in my family, people that I see on social media um, that kind of go, who is Steve Kerr to be talking about gun control? Um, or who is Steve Kerr to be talking about all these American um, political incidents. But then when something like China happens, he comes out and says, I'm not educated on this. I can't talk about it. Um, Or I need to go educate myself before I feel like I can make a statement. I had a lot of respect. I I have a lot more respect for Steve Kerr now knowing his family situation and knowing how involved um, his dad was with Middle Eastern politics. And he was a foremost American expert on what was going on in the Middle East. Um, of course he wants to take a couple minutes to educate himself on what's going on with the NBA in China. Of course he feels like he needs to speak up when something is happening in America, like um, gun control or like um, so many of the shootings that we see in the news. Of course he feels like he needs to speak up. That's how he was raised. And he, he wasn't just raised to be a voice who spouts off about something that he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's going to educate himself and then say something. Um, so, so I have so much more respect for the way that he has handled himself in national news and national media um, and some of those very tense and delicate situations um, when, when he knows he's going to get some heat, but he still feels like it's important to speak up and say something. Um, that was inspiring for me. Um, and, and that's something that um, I, I would never have known why some of that stuff was so important to Steve Kerr unless I knew his backstory and unless I knew where he was coming from. Yeah, and I think when, when you experience stuff like that at 
a young age, like being in college, like that, that grows you up fast. Yeah. And Steve Kerr has always struck me as someone like, not that he's like a really young guy right now. I mean, he's, he's probably in his mid fifties, Yeah. but, um, just seeing like, I've always felt like he was wise beyond his years. Yes. Like he has the wisdom of like some 80 year old sage in my mind. And, um, he's not that old yeah and like just experiencing stuff like that i feel like can really grow you in a way that um though it's no one ever wants to experience that and i definitely don't um the maturity that you can glean from it is just really neat to see yeah and it almost makes it seem like him running an nba team is easy like like he's been through so much other stuff in his life and his family has been through so much that he can run an NBA team and that's no problem. And we as NBA fans are the beneficiaries of that because Steve Kerr could probably be doing anything he wanted. And for some reason, he's choosing to be in the NBA and be in NBA circles. And we are the ones who get to reap the benefits of that. Um, but I I have so much respect for Steve Kerr. Um, I had respect for him already, but watching what he's been through and how he responded um, and, and hearing some of his backstory was awesome. I was so glad that they put that in there and didn't cut it on the editing room floor. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, what did you think about the 98 finals? What stuck out to me was um, the Rodman stuff. I had not heard yeah. that. Had you yeah. heard that? No, I had not heard any of that. And I don't think Dennis Rodman is boring. I don't think I would want to watch a whole documentary on him. Uh, but I love when he drops in and out of this. Like, oh, yeah, he didn't show up to practice because he was doing all of these crazy things. Or he went to Vegas and never came back. I've I've thought that that some of that stuff has been terribly entertaining. Like, oh yeah, you're referencing the Rosillo take where he's like Dennis Rodman was actually boring. He's boring. Not- yeah, no, I I I completely reject that. Yeah, I, I he's not boring to me. Maybe that's because like me and you didn't weren't like basketball right. conscious during it, so it's new to us, and it's not like. I think if you experience something like it, it takes on less like legend. So like to us, that is just completely absurd, especially because if it happened now, it would be like, it would be like on the Mount Rushmore of like Twitter moments, you know, of like, like if J.R. Smith didn't show up to practice in 2016, uh, the day after a win because he was on WWE shirtless. Like, <laughs> that would be insane. Um, and that would, like, there would be memes and GIFs and all of it. And I'm sure that some GIFs will come out after tonight's episode of of him at WWE or whatever. Yeah. But, like, that, that would be... I feel like we... Rodman was way before his time when it comes to what he could have been in the Twitter era. And I, I want to know if he would have been ha, felt like he had the freedom to do the same type of antics had he been. I don't know if there's any other coach that would give him the the leash to do some of the things he did. Like like he even said, Phil Phil knew that I just had to do me sometimes, and I had to get away and do my own thing. I don't know if there's any coach in the NBA who would let him even like take two steps that direction if he doesn't show up to practice. What coach in the NBA right now is not fining him or suspending him um, or or doing something? I think Phil Jackson was the perfect coach at the perfect time. And if it's anyone else today, like even take away the social media part, there's no way that he gets away with some of that stuff. 
And then he's probably not as good of a player. Yeah, just the self-importance that you have to feel to be like, nothing is going to happen negative to me if I just don't show up. Yeah. Like, have you ever felt that in any situation? Like, I'm actually so important to this team. They need me so much when the lights turn on that I am actually just going to shirk this one aspect of my duty. And then it doesn't even matter because they're not going to do anything about it. It's insane. Um, it, it's absolutely crazy. And it's amazing that it didn't leak ever on the, I guess it was that, was that WWE wrestling? Is that what it was? Yeah. Some, something like that. WWE, it, WWF, something like that. It's amazing that that never leaked back to the bulls that they had signed Rodman to come or that Rodman was planning on coming. Like that right. never happens today. That definitely leaks at some point. You hear from the TV producer or whatever, Dennis Rodman will be there, get a graphic ready. Uh, but that part was amazing. Yeah, Woj bombs come in like the second right. that deal is done, and then it gets canceled within 24 hours. Yeah, you're out because you're, he you're gets threatened to get cut. Yeah, yeah. Um, Game so, three of that finals was crazy. That final score was it? I, I wrote oh down it, it was 96 to 54. And I guess it's still like the lowest any team has scored in a full game in the shot clock era. It's insane. And there have been some moments that I have looked at the scores in on some of these games and thought, really? Like that they only had 60 points going into the third or going into the fourth quarter. Um and, and I've been surprised at how low some of the scores have been in some of the games. But holding a team to 54 points is crazy, let alone to do it in the NBA Finals. And I think if you do it in game one, that's one thing. You could chalk that up to, oh, the home team you know, blitzed them and caught them off guard. But doing that in the middle of a series is wild. Yeah, that was such a strange – that was – I mean, that that could never happen ever again. That will forever be – in the shot clock era, the least amount of points a team has scored, especially with the way we play now. That, like that, you could a team. I I, w- I I'm gonna say this, and I don't know if it's true. I would I'm curious to go back and look at it, but it feels like teams hit 23 pointers all the time, like in one game, 23 pointers. You do that all the time. I'm sure the Rockets have done that a bajillion times. If you just go out and only hit your three pointers, you're gonna score more points than that. It's just basic math. And there's, yeah, there's no way that someone scores less than 54 points now. And then Rodman left right after that game, right? He left between game three and four. Yeah. yeah. So if he never leaves, I wonder, does all of that drama stay away and they come back for game four and do the same thing? Like, do they blitz him again and hold him to 60 or hold him to 65? Um, that would have been amazing to watch. If none of that distraction was there, are they able to do that for multiple games because they're the greatest defensive team of all time? I have no idea if that's true. But if you can do that for multiple games in a row, you probably are. Like I'm trying to think of scenarios where a team could be held to 54 points now. And the only thing I'm thinking of is if you have like this year's Los Angeles Lakers and they're playing against like a tanking team – Sorry, Siri. Siri thought I was talking to her just now. Um, if if you're if they're playing like a tanking team, like the Wizards or something, and they have just called up all these G League guys, and the Lakers for some reason are super pissed off and trying to make a point. Yeah, like the Hornets are resting Terry Rozier tonight, and the Lakers are mad about something. 
Stephen A. Smith just said something. Like if, like if the Wizards suited up like Rob Marbury, Eli Pepper, <laughs> um, Michael Buckland, and Garrison Matthews, the twenty eight Kenny Cooper, license. yeah. Like, do they do they score fifty four points on this year's Los Angeles Lakers? Probably not. Well, Garrison's Probably putting not. up thirty by himself. I feel like they could they could they would put Avery Bradley on on Garrison or something like that. Just <laughs> Anthony Davis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because they could they could put anybody on anybody. Like LeBron is bigger than that team's biggest guy. If Asajel is not in, yeah. Yeah, that score was crazy. When I when I saw that, it was hard to process that they only held, they held a team to only fifty four points in an entire game. That was bonkers. So, what I did know about Game Six, the elimination game, was that MJ got a steal or a layup, a steal, and then hit that shot. But I'm trying to imagine watching that live. Yeah, and a team being down three with 40 seconds left and no stoppages of play, just a layup, a steal and a shot. And if I w I wish that had happened in Chicago, just to yeah. like see like the anticipation of the crowd. Like he makes a layup, people are going nuts. He gets a steal. And now it's like at a ridiculous decibel level. And then to hit that final shot and things go absolutely crazy. Um, I didn't know about the layup or the steal beforehand. I had always seen the shot, but I didn't know the two plays that led up to it. Yeah, it's crazy. No one, no other Bulls player touched the ball during that yeah, whole thing. That's true. <laughs> Not so even I to pass the ball in because the Jazz scored. Right, right. Like it was just like there's there's no other way for Michael Jordan to have ended his career, no. which I know we. You know, like, I just think that was the ultimate, like, GOAT status. Like, Pippen is pretty much worthless in this game. Like, I'm just going to I'm just gonna do this now. He, he was a decoy. Yeah, he, he, he should have left that as the last time he touched a basketball in, on an NBA floor was hitting that shot. Um, and, and the layup beforehand was impressive. Yeah, whatever. Like, that's, to me, that was a normal basketball play. It's impressive because of the circumstances around it. Uh, but the defensive play was awesome. And that was something that as he was explaining it in the moment, Olivia and I were like going crazy watching him do it because it was so smart. And, and he took the right risk at the right time, knowing that they had to get a stop and knowing that Carl Malone's gone to that same move six different times and he could probably get a steal off. It was awesome. And hearing him talk through that, I want more of that. I want more of players talking through their logic about why they're doing some of this stuff that they picked up on some of these tendencies because they've been paying attention. Um, and the shot was amazing. The shot was great. The crossover was unbelievable. Uh, but the defensive play was right up there as well. And I can't believe that I didn't know about that until tonight. Yeah. Um, did did he push off on that shot? I didn't think so. From from the the TV camera angle, it looked like he did. But when they cut to one of the high-quality cameras that was zoomed in, it really did look like he just had his hand behind him. Um, and when he went, like Michael's hand followed him, but he didn't push him. It, it looked like he, he legit crossed him and dropped him. Um, I, I forget who it was. It was one of the, it was the commentator who always does the Olympics, but said he had his hand on him as much as someone does when they're walking them to their chair, like a, a waiter walking someone to their chair. That was hilarious. Yeah. Bob Costas. Yeah. Yes. I just thought, um, I've always thought he pushed off. I mean, that's just like 
what I've thought and that's what people have said. It, you know, in even if he did, it doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't matter to me because people push off and that's life and that happens and that's basketball. Yeah. And like um he had already crossed him to the point that even if he just like have you ever been so off balance where you're like, I'm going to fall. I'm going to oh. catch myself unless someone touches me right now. 100%. And like, that's, I think what happened. And he just got enough that he just, I mean, tipped him over. Yeah. I was seeing tweets like, um, during it, they're like, uh, this is the night Brian Russell has gathered his family around to prove <laughs> that he did get pushed off. <laughs> and then the documentary is just like, Nope, wasn't a push off. Didn't happen. The, the cross was incredible and the shot was amazing. And the way that, again, the producers and director edited it so that they had that, that still frame, the, the photograph that laid over right there was, was awesome. Um, and, and if I were Michael Jordan, I would have that blown up and on a wall in my house. Um, and, I, and I do wish that was the last time that he touched a basketball. Um, we, I wish that the Washington Wizards stuff hadn't happened. Because that is the perfect moment for a player to go out on. If you've already decided you're not going to come back and try to play again, just leave that as the last. The last time you touch a basketball is hitting a game-winning shot um, to win an NBA Finals, to win your sixth Finals. It was it was a perfect moment. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the after the season stuff of like the blowing it up portion of the doc? Um. So I, I want to know what you think. Who who do you think is I'm, – I'm going to answer your question by throwing it back at you and asking you a question. Um, who do you think, if you had to blame one person for them not coming back to go for a seventh title, who do you blame? Because my answer changed tonight, and I'm curious if it did for you as well. Um, I mean, obviously it's probably not one person's fault, but I would probably say Jerry Krause. Okay. Um, as the GM, like he he put them in a position, and so like I could say Scottie Pippen, mm-hmm. because he wanted a new contract and he did not want to stay there under that awful contract, and but Kraus is the one that gave him the awful contract. But if Kraus doesn't give him an awful contract, Kraus isn't able to sign so 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 and so right. so and so, and so like. The situation was a making of Jerry Krause's, so I would probably say him. Okay, my so that was my answer until tonight, um, and and even from episode one, they they throw Jerry Krause as he told Phil Jackson that even if he goes eighty two and zero, he's not getting his job back, um, and Michael Jordan the whole time is saying if Phil is not here, I'm gone. The way they pitched it tonight, Phil Jackson had the chance to come back. Reinstein went over Krause. Reinsdorf. Excuse me, Reinsdorf went over Kraus and offered Phil Jackson a one-year contract to come back. And and Phil Jackson said no. Phil Jackson, for right or wrong reasons, he said no. And at that point, you're not getting Michael back, and then you're going to have to blow it up. And and so until tonight, I would have said it was Kraus because he had made it so clear no one's coming back. But Phil Jackson had the chance to do it. And if he says yes, we have on camera, and it's revisionist history, so we can't be sure. But on camera, Michael Jordan saying, I'm absolutely coming back. And at that point, we're not rebuilding. We're running it back for a seventh year. Doesn't matter how much money I'm making. Doesn't matter any of that. We're going for the title. And I don't know if they would have won it. They were exhausted. 
but my answer changed tonight. I, I was fascinated listening to the owner talk about, no, I wanted to bring him back. That Phil Jackson earned the right to, to come and try to compete again, to try to defend their title. Um, but Phil Jackson chose not to do it. Um, he chose to sit out a year or two, and then he went to the Lakers. Um, and the Lakers are better for that. It was more than a year or two. Um, but I, I, I'm shocked at the way that that played out. And watching Jordan's reaction, uh, again, when the director handed him the iPad, um, was hilarious to, to uh, the owner saying it was all salary cap. It was all this. It was all that. So I don't know that we have the full story, but from what I got tonight, I, I put all the blame on Phil Jackson for them not coming back and going after it again. Yeah, um, it seemed like uh, Jordan definitely thought it was some revisionist history yeah. by Reinsdorf there. Like, and that's something 20 years out, you just kind of, you don't know, it's he said, she said, and we can never really know the actual facts of what happened because they didn't, I guess they did show Phil Jackson saying they offered me the job back. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I just... I don't know. I thought it was really weird. Have you, uh, did you hear, I'm just going to reference Bill Simmons for the fourth time this podcast for those keeping track at home. But um, on his podcast this last week or two weeks ago, he had written an article or it was in Book of Basketball or something uh-huh. about how MJ retired because he didn't have a team to play for. Yes. Did you hear that? I did hear that. And there was a quote tonight in the locker room. It was before. Game five was game five. The last one that was in Chicago for that series. Yes. Cause that was a six game series game five. He's talking to Pippen and Scott. His last name starts with a B Burrell Burrell. Yes. Um, he was talking to Scotty Pippen and Scott Burrell and he's, he starts to give it to Burrell a little bit. And, and Burrell says, I'm, I'm getting a plane ticket to LA. Like I'm coming with you. And that made me wonder if there was any, because uh, I'd heard in that Bill Simmons article, they they mentioned the Lakers as a possible option if Phil Jackson went there, but Phil Jackson said no to that coaching job. And I wonder if at some point there was a a potential plan or there was a thought that Phil Jackson would go to the Lakers right after the 97-98 season and Jordan would come with him. Uh, because if so, that would have been incredible um, to get that Lakers team with a young Shaq to then get Michael Jordan. Granted, it's aging Michael Jordan, uh, but yes, I I did catch that in the article. Did you catch the the L.A. comment? Yeah, I didn't know what it meant though. I didn't know he said like I, he's like I said I'm coming to California with you, and I was like, you're gonna play golf? Yeah. Like, I don't. I didn't know. I didn't know what that was referencing. We're gonna go start a, Apple. That's a good. That's a good take. Um, yeah, I I think uh, in the article Simmons mentioned like him going to the Rockets and playing with yeah. uh, Elijah Wan and Clyde Drexler. <laughs> that would have been that would have been something. That would have been a wild team. And Michael Michael Jordan in wizard uniform. Those pictures look crazy enough. Um, but I also wonder. I, I wonder if it's more than just salary cap. Like I I get what what Bill Simmons was getting out of there's there was no team in the NBA who could afford him because they weren't planning for. They, they didn't plan their salary caps the way that, that teams do now. But I also wonder if you're Michael Jordan and you want to play, you'll find a way to play. Like Nike can cover up your contract money or something like that. Um, or you can get it back in endorsements from whatever city you go to. 
I don't think he wanted to play. I think I think he was done. Um, and and I think if he was going to play, it was going to be for Phil Jackson. And Phil Jackson said no to the chance to do it with Michael, uh, either in Chicago or in L.A. Um, he said no to coming back as a coach. And so at that point, I think I think Jordan was done. I think even if the Rockets had a full a, a full max contract or the Wizards or whoever it might have been. I think he was out. I think he was done. I think he needed some time off. Um, and I, I wish that they would have come back. I wish they would have run it back. But also at the same time, him hitting that shot in game six was kind of the perfect way to go out. Yeah. Um, I think that the toll of a three-peat is so great. And one thing I haven't articulated, I, I don't think, uh, well enough on this podcast is the toll of a three-peat done the Michael Jordan way Yeah, is insane. And it's it's the reason he was able to three-peat twice, but it's also why it is a far more like burnout level three-peat because he's playing all 82 games. He's playing every preseason game. He is going hard every single game. He's mad when he's getting pulled early in blowouts. Like he wants to compete every second of every practice of every game so it's not like if LeBron won a three-peat and he's taking like five games off in January every year it's not like if Kawhi three-peats and he's only playing 60 games in the regular season you know it's it's a completely different animal that we're talking about and they weren't dealing with hyperbaric chambers right he was smoking a ton of cigars he's drinking Drinking Miller Lite after the games so like I don't I think it is a whole nother level of physical and mental exhaustion, which is the reason he was able to three-peat twice, but it's also the reason why I think he probably had to step out. Um, yep. And I mean, it would be crazy to see him go for four, but at the same time, I think that um, it's hard to say aging Jordan. Like, he was the best player in the NBA in 98. Right. In 99, he won I the assume... MVP. I assume if you said, what's one guy you want on your team this season, every single person would have chosen Michael Jordan. But at the same time, it's like, especially if you just take that roster where, like, maybe he could have gone to another team and gotten refreshed a little bit, and they would have had a lot of really hungry hungry dudes that weren't burnt out from two straight three-peats. Right. But, um, and that could have worked out. But I just think that team, like, especially Scotty, Phil, and Michael, just the toll of two three-peats in eight seasons is ridiculous. Yeah, and, and the the um, other Bill Simmons idea that's out there that I, I do think is really smart, and I think that I, I, I do agree with more so than the salary cap thing, is he didn't have a, a, a carrot dangling out in front of him to run after. After that, he had won a sixth championship. He had no peer at that point. There was no one who was up and coming. Or, or there was no one who was at his level or gunning for the throne um, like he was with Magic or Bird. Um, or like if he would have waited a couple years, like Shaq or Kobe would have been coming for him. Um, but that that wasn't there. And so what are you competing against? Like, are you trying to go after Bill Russell's 11 championships? That's probably not realistic. And it's probably not even a carrot that's out there because that was a different league. You just won six championships in, in, in the six. You won six out of seven championships in seven straight years that, that you were in the league minus one year for baseball, um, which at that point, what else are you running after? What, like, why, why would you put yourself through a new coach? Like why I don't fully understand why Tom Brady is going and putting himself at a new team with a new offensive coordinator 
and a new offensive line and a new head coach and all of that. Um, it, it almost feels the same to me in that Michael Jordan chose to not go hit reset. And, and I'll be interested to see how Tom Brady hitting reset is going to work for him. Uh, but I, I predict it doesn't pan out too well. He's got a good team. Uh, but having to relearn all that other stuff, having to relearn how to live in, in a different city with different people, um, that, that probably, to Michael Jordan, he looked at it and went, it's not worth it. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm really thankful that Michael Jordan exists and that he played basketball and was awesome. And um, he got to do what nobody else got to do. And that was retire on top, not yeah. once, but twice. Yeah. Um, as the best player in the sport, which no one will ever do that again. As a, He retired twice as a finals MVP. Yeah. That's not going to happen. It re- like it almost never happens once. Yeah. To do it twice is something that, that he will always have in any GOAT argument. Um, unless someone is like from birth – crafting like i'm gonna win finals and finals mvp three straight times retire and then do it again yeah and that's their game plan going in other barring some sort of miraculous feat like that it will never ever happen again it's lamello balls plan going in that's what he's thinking about i loved it he's gonna be too busy running his new zealand basketball team oh it's so sick i love at the end of game six right when mj hits that shot i didn't mention this a second ago but he, he makes the layup, gets the steal, timeout. And, uh, or there's a stoppage of some kind. Or, or maybe they just interviewed the players and were saying, what did you think? And I loved all of his teammates that they were like, uh, yeah, I knew my job on that play was to get out of the effing way. Or to go just yeah. sit in the corner and pull my man over there. And they had like three of the other four guys on the court who said, yeah, my job was to get out of the way. That was awesome. Um, and, and they even reference like in other moments, he might have passed this to Paxson or to Kerr or someone like that. But when he's going for his sixth title, he's going to make this shot. He's the one who's going to shoot it. None of us are touching this ball. Just get out of the way. It was awesome. I loved that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was like even – it was one of those things where if you've ever worked on something like a project or you're honoring someone's career or legacy – and there's like this ceremonial thing where it's like you get to do the last whatever and he got to take the last shot number 1 because he had earned that right, right. but number 2 he was going to make it there was no doubt you're not taking that from him right right I, right right i loved when they got back to the hotel and they all walk in and they're all still wearing their uniforms i i've I've always wondered, and we got an answer a couple years ago, but what happens after you leave the locker room the night you win the championship? Not even in like a weird way, not in a I want to like live vicariously through other people, but you are so jacked and so amped and so high on adrenaline. You can't just go back to your hotel and go to sleep or like you can't just go and hug your family and then go to bed. You're going to be up for a while. And there, a couple years ago, I think it was the next day, but when the Cavs won their championship in Golden State, they made a stop in Vegas on the way home, um, on the way back to Cleveland. And then the Warriors did that the next year. So I know that there are some things like that that teams will do. But I've wondered, and watching the Bulls walk back into their hotel room in their uniforms and watching Michael sit there and do like media in his hotel room, what do you do for the rest of the night after you win a championship? You're not just going to bed. You're not just ordering a pizza. 
Do I want to know the answer to that? I assume that Michael Jordan uh, played cards and gambled while smoking cigars. Till five in the morning? Just like... But the thing is, like, he... uh, Like, guys like Michael Jordan, like, he's not going to bed until, like, 3 a.m. anyways. Right. He's probably not able to sleep at all that night, you know? It's probably like a... Like a youth group lock-in with, like, cards, cigars, and booze. (laughs) That's not like a youth group lock-in that I've been to. (laughs) Well... You haven't been to the Hermitage Church of Christ lock-ins. <laughs> May it rest in peace. That's why we don't do lock-ins anymore. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Any other uh, general thoughts on uh, our our viewing experience? Um, I think this is my last thing. This is the last thing I had on my list. It It was amazing, the camera quality of the footage that we got. Um, you could tell a huge difference when they would pull the camera angles that were the TV broadcast versus when they had the documentary cameras. And I, I don't know why they were different, but even on my TV that I bought a year and a half ago, so a, a new, fairly nice TV, the footage that they have from 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, looks amazing. Um, they did a really, really good job. And, and now since me and every other youth minister around the country has basically become a pseudo video producer and editor during all of this. I Maybe I'm noticing some of that stuff more. But the quality of the footage they got and and the, the skill of the camera operators and the director and the producer and all that to put it together and make it look good was awesome. It Footage from 20 years ago held up so much better than I thought it would. And I think it's probably a contributing factor to why there's so many people like me and my age and younger than me who are watching this going, wow, I didn't know this about Jordan. Or, man, Jordan's super impressive because we can actually see it. It's colorized. It looks good. It's not uh, grainy and choppy or in black and white like some of the Bill Russell footage. It looks good. Have you noticed that? You know, I didn't I, I didn't really notice it. I, could, what, I didn't notice it until people started tweeting about it tonight, and then I noticed it. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I thought – I felt like it the 98 footage felt much more like the scenes you would see in a 2020 NBA arena. Yeah. Than a than like even in like 92. Like it felt like like 92 was this like past era universe and then 98 was like modern. Yeah. You know, like yep. not modern in fashion, but in like feel of an NBA arena. Um, like the uniforms, like the court, like the, the difference between the old Chicago stadium that they won the first three peat in and the United center was hugely different. And so that's, that's one thing that stuck out to me, especially once they started rocking like the black jerseys and everything. Mm -hmm. And they had some freedom with like jerseys and shoes Shoes. and all that. Like it it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, It did make a difference. And, it was cool to watch how the NBA changed because that wasn't a stagnant time for the NBA. That was switching from Magic and Bird, who had saved the NBA, to Michael Jordan, who was then carrying the torch and then making it a global brand. Um, it, it was cool to watch how the league changed and, and has turned into what you and I love now and how formative those um, 10 years or 15 years or whatever it was, how formative those were to um, to the NBA now and how we don't have what we have now if it weren't for those, those Bulls teams. 
Um, and it was cool at the very end of episode 10, they flashed back to uh, rookie MJ, like right after he got drafted, who, who was saying, all I want is for uh, when people talk about the great teams in the NBA, they talk about the Celtics, they talk about the Lakers, they talk about the 76ers. I want them to put some respect on the Bulls when I'm done with this. Um, and it, it it was cool. Cool is the wrong word. It was amazing to watch how he did that. Um, and how now when we do talk about the best teams of all time, it's it's the Lakers, it's the Celtics. I don't think of the 76ers as one of the best teams of all time, but the Bulls are absolutely in, in that top three in the, in the list that you think of off the top of your head. Um, so it, it was um, it was amazing to watch the whole documentary and to watch a, a young Michael Jordan going back and saying, man, all I want to do is this and then watching him do it. Yeah, super cool. And it came at a time when we really needed something – to get excited about in the sports realm. And uh, I'm hopeful that we're going to get to see some NBA happen before the end of uh, the fall. Do you think it'll happen? Do you think they're going to gonna finish this season at, at some level and crown a champion? I do, because I think they're much more married to the idea. And there's much more money on the table of finishing. Like, if you're losing something, you'd rather lose – the start of the next season yeah. than the end of this one. You can push it back. You can abbreviate it. You can do some some things to get creative with it. Do you think if anyone other than the Lakers, Clippers, or Bucks wins the title that everyone will say it has an asterisk on it? Probably. And even if one of those teams wins, there will be people that say that still. But I think that no one else has a chance to win. If we if we're playing full seven game series, no one else has a chance to win other than those three. You think? You think even after a, a three month break or whatever it will have been? Yeah, I mean, pitch a team to me that's gonna be able to beat the one the of one those that, three teams. The one that I see going around everywhere is the Rockets. All they have to do is get hot for a couple games, especially if they. Well, you, you just said if it's seven game series, but especially if it's if it's like you are starting at the semifinals, so they only have to win three series to uh, win the title, absolutely they could get hot enough and do that. So you don't think that James Harden probably weighs like 260 right now? That's the thing. Uh, it He's depends. probably going to come and be drunk for the first month still <laughs> He's and weigh be 260. He's going to be so excited that after quarantine, um, some of his favorite joints to go and hang out at are open again and is not going to be focused on basketball but if they get hot, they could do it. Have you seen some of these Westbrook workout videos that have been coming out? We can talk about workout videos later and how stupid they are. But some of the stuff that he's doing is crazy. He's not coming back at 360 pounds like some other guys might. He's coming back trying to win it. I mean, he has had a great season. He is he is would you agree that he has played better than Harden this season? Uh, not at not at the beginning. At the beginning, Harden was the the MVP front runner, but it it did seem to change when they started to purposely open everything up a little bit more, um, and, and so Westbrook could um, have more room to operate and not just be a three point shooter, and not play off ball. But it it took a minute for them to figure that out. But now that they have, it seems like he has been better. It seems like Harden has been in, in some kind of slump all season, except for the first couple months. I don't know if the stats would would say that that's true, but that's what my eye test is telling me. Yeah, and I think that's probably – I probably think Westbrook has outplayed Harden this season because of my expectations going in of Westbrook versus Harden, thinking Westbrook is past his prime and falling fast, 
versus Harden, who should be in the MVP yeah. conversation. I, I would have thought going into the season. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I think that we'll get a, we'll get a playoffs at least and we'll get a champion and I'm hoping it's the Lakers. I am too. I, and I hope that people don't put the asterisks on it because they are the best that record wise, they're the best team in the West by five games. I'm looking at it. They're behind the the bucks by four games and overall standings. But I, I think the Lakers have been the best team this year. So I hope that you don't put an asterisk on the on the team who has been either the best or second best team the whole year leading up to this point. But I'm sure people will. I'm sure people will find a way to hate the Lakers. Yeah. I mean, the last weekend that they played the regular season, the Lakers beat the Bucks and the Clippers. So It was incredible. I mean, it just sucks for LeBron. And yeah. that's like I want this to happen for LeBron if for no other reason because not that I think he's the GOAT. I'm just saying he deserves better. And if this season gets canceled when they're the clear front runners, it's going to suck for him. Yeah. I'm going to feel really bad for him. I would too. Um, it would be interesting to hear how people would talk about his legacy five years from now. Like, do people, because you can't look at this and give them a championship, but it also feels like it should count for something that he had the best team in the, the, the NBA for almost a whole year for 64 games, 63 games in the Lakers case. So it'll be interesting to see how people talk about this if the season doesn't come back, but I hope it does. I hope they figure out the Disney world idea and can do the bubble um, and players agree to it, but we'll see. Yeah. My understanding is that players will, but you never know. There'll probably be some outliers, you know, Um, who are refusing to play or whatever because they're concerned. But um, at this point, like, some I, I saw something that was like, literally, what is there to to gain from doing this? And yeah. I'm like, we, like, uh, people like me need this. Yeah. Like, yes, like, I know I'd be okay in the long run. It would make me insanely happy if this yeah. happened. I think the ratings would be through the roof, too. If they're getting people to watch a documentary, the live NBA playoffs would be a smash hit. It would be awesome. We can keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. All right, man. Um, anything else? I don't think so. I think I'm good. Thank you for uh, for inviting me to do this. It's an honor to beat out all of my fellow survivors um i hope i was more russell than boston rob look at me trying to throw survivor references in there uh, but thank you for having me this was a lot of fun yeah dude always a pleasure and uh i hope to see you in person sometime in the nearest future yeah it's been a it's been a minute it's been about a month since i stood in your driveway and awkwardly far away from you and waved at yeah. you yeah we should do that again <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Adios.